welcome to another episode of Unauthorized Disclosure. I am one of your hosts, Rania Kalik, and I'm joined by the show's other host, Kevin Gastola. Hey, Kevin. Hey, everybody. So today we have a really great guest for you. She's a good friend of mine, Jenna Nachez. She is a member of the Central Committee of the Lebanese Communist Party and an independent uh, researcher. Uh, Jenna, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. So we have a lot to talk about with Jenna, uh, but first I want to start with your recent trip to Afrin in northern Syria uh, about a week or two ago uh, before it was under Turkish occupation, which just happened. Afrin is a Kurdish city in northern Syria um, that's been under horrific bombardment and siege by the Turkish army as well as Turkish uh, backed FSA mercenaries. So uh, I, I, we haven't really talked much about Afrin on our show. So Jenna, can you give our listeners uh, kind of like a basic overview of what happened there um, and your interpretation of what's going on based on your experience on the ground? Uh, sure. So Afrin is uh, located or the area of Afrin is located in the north in the, in the northwest of Syria, and it's uh, basically on the borders with Turkey. The importance of Afrin for Turkey is that it's not only, uh, it doesn't only have a majority of Kurdish uh, inhabitants, but it's that the, it's part of the Kurdish uh, uh, political and military project of having a, um, uh, let's say, uh, semi-independent uh, region of their own from which the Kurds can also have political and, and military um, uh, activities uh, 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 which are anti-Turkish. Uh, so. Around more than a month ago, around two months ago, I, I think, uh, the Turks started uh, occupying the lands, the, the Syrian lands, uh, from the region of Afrin. Uh, I was there around 11, 12 days ago. Um, the situation was when I was there, the fact that uh, the Turks had occupied, along with the Takfiri mercenaries, they had occupied around 114 uh, villages and uh, towns, uh, marching into the, the, the city of Afrin, which was uh, welcoming around 500,000 uh, um, uh, migrants from all over the region. Now, the problem is that in less than a week, uh, meaning last week, the Turks and the, their, the, the Turkish uh, army and their Takfiri mercenaries were able to occupy more than three, 360 uh, uh, additional uh, city uh, uh, towns and villages, getting into also the city of Afrin. And so uh, uh, causing, first of all, a large number of casualties amongst uh, inhabitants, destroying and burning down the cities and the villages, looting these villages, uh, 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 killing and, and torturing the women and the people, and also uh, be, uh, killing uh, resistant fighters from Kurdish and Arab uh, villages. So what we are facing now is a Turkish and Takfiri presence occupation in the northwest part of Syria in, in a way which is also uh, 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 around 50 kilometers away from Aleppo, which has been uh, uh, freed only last year. So uh, there's a lot of tension about what's going on, what's going to happen, why this happened, why, why the Syrian army was not able to intervene there. Uh, the only people that, the only, let's say, groups who have... Um, 
resisted our guerrilla fighters amongst uh, the, the Arab and Kurdish villages. Uh, two days ago, the Turkish army actually attacked and uh, bombed a Syrian army's uh, point, uh, checkpoint uh, near Afrin. Uh, uh, until now, we don't know how, how possible it would be for the same takfiris who were in Aleppo and who are now part of the group supporting the Turkish army, how possible it is for them to uh, uh, march down to Aleppo and reoccupy the city. And when you talk about these takfiris, um, these are basically like former rebels, as the U.S. <laughs> likes to call them, um, who are very, very sectarian. Uh, basically like Salafi jihadists. And now they're working for, like they're all lining up behind uh, the Turkish army uh, and doing their bidding. And they pose, can you like explain this, the threat they pose? I mean, they, they have a, a, uh, an extreme hatred, especially for the Kurds, as well as other minority groups. But the Kurds are sort of high on their list of people they like to kill. Um, so can you explain the threat that these people pose? Of course. So first of all, uh, just to explain who these are, uh, these are ex-ISIS, ex-Nusra um, fighters who have been uh, regrouped under different uh, names and different groups, uh, all, be getting, all under the name of uh, the Free Syrian Army. Uh, and they're all uh, takfiris and they're all Salafists. The point is they're the ones who are fighting on the ground in uh, the region. So the Turkish army just fights from the aircraft, their, their, their aircraft, and they follow uh, the, the, after the takfiris have looted and killed and kidnapped and raped the women there. So of course, they're, they're tak takfiris, meaning they're against everyone who's not like them in the region, but specifically against the Kurds and specifically against Yazidi Kurds. And there's a huge number of uh, Yazidi, which is um, a group of, uh, uh, let's say pagan, uh, <clears throat> sorry, pagan uh, community amongst the Kurds in the area. Uh, according to the Takfiri's uh, ideology, uh, uh, Yazidis are not human beings. They can be killed uh, and they can be treated like slaves. And this is one of the biggest problems that we've had with women, uh, Yazidi women, being used as slaves uh, all along uh, Syria and uh, Iraq for the past couple of years. And this has been the biggest threat for the for the communities in the region. So uh, for them, it's also very much um, uh, the looting that's going on there, which is uh, a form of, first of all, revenge, but also a form of uh, um, actually being able to uh, produce money out of out of such um, occupation, because we're talking about Afrin as a very rich city. It was the resort uh, in the north of Syria. And for the past years, it wasn't attacked during the war. So it became like the refuge for uh, bourgeois uh, people from Aleppo to go and uh, live there. So they built like these kind of villas. So the looting that's going, uh, that's taking place, we're talking about them uh, stripping the stripping the houses of, of uh, um, the cladding that is there, uh, the doorknobs, the doors, so everything that they can get out of uh, the city, not only to destroy it, but also to get money out of it. <clears throat> Jeez, what you just mentioned about the Yazidis, I mean, when you say these are ex-ISIS, um, I mean, ISIS specifically enslaved Yazidis, and so these are people who literally get a chance to do it again 
right, <laughs> like, right. Uh, under the backing of a NATO, like of a NATO's ally. I mean, it's just crazy. It's it's absolutely insane, and it's getting almost and no coverage in the U.S. Yes, silence everywhere. Not even in Lebanon, nowhere where you usually have hashtags, uh, 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 profile pictures changing into different colors, uh, calling for Aleppo being a burning, etc. Nobody's talking about Afrin. Afrin mm-hmm. is mentioned nowhere. There's uh, until this week, it's only us who's been asked as the Lebanese Communist Party who's been publishing about this every week uh, to talk about these discrepancies, uh, what's going on, the details, and also what is what is what does this mean politically, specifically oh. that Kurds are are an integral part of this region, and it is not okay to say that their fight is not ours. Well, so I want to talk to you a little bit about that. There is this. Um... <clears throat> There is this fracture that's, uh, especially over the last few years, that's been, I guess, intensified by this situation taking place in Syria and Iraq, uh, a fracture between Arabs and Kurds. I mean, it's kind of always existed uh, for several decades, but um, there is, I mean, is that, does that explain why there's a lack of concern from maybe certain, like the Arab side? Um, am I wrong to say that? I don't know. I, I just... Uh, I think I think it's the lack of concern is just because uh, this is Turkey and this is the Free Syrian Army, which is supposed to be this cute kind of uh, uh, rainbow flag uh, holding <laughs> army, which is not the case actually. So people would not say any not people, but generally the the quote unquote activists who are generally talking about the issues that is what's going on in Syria and who are raising their voices and who are creating the hashtags of, of about what's going on in Syria, they don't want to talk about this free Syrian army, what it has de- developed into being, and they don't want to talk about Turkey because unfortunately for them, Turkey is, a, is an ally. So what mm. we see in Afrin, what we see all around the region, which I'm, I'm, I'm very, very, uh, I, I want to highlight this very much, that this is not only Kurdish area. This is Kurdish as much as Arab. It's Alawite, mm. it's Shia areas, it's Sunni areas. It's very diverse there. So uh, uh, when, when you talk about marginal, marginalizing and, and dismissing what's going on in Afrin, it's very much political. It's because my own ally is doing this, so I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to tweet about it. I'm not going to change my profile about it. Um, you know, I did see some some big, like some of the fans of the FSA on Twitter tweeting about it. And what they were tweeting was that, was photos, they were saying that the FSA was returning things that were looted by some bad apples. Oh <laughs> oh. Yeah, it was really obnoxious. But I want to shift for a moment to um, the fact that, you know, you're someone who is a, in a, a you know, you're an elected uh, member of the Central Committee of the Lebanese Communist Party, a leftist party in Lebanon. You're involved, I mean, you're involved in politics, you're involved in activism, you are a native of this region, uh, you know, born and raised here, um, and you also speak, you know, English fluently, so you, you, I mean, you and I talk about this quite often, about the coverage of the region and the conflicts taking place in leftist circles and leftist publications in the U.S. and how completely distorted and messed up it is. Um, so I want to ask you, as a, I guess I'm going to throw in some identity stuff here, as a leftist in the region from a leftist party, uh, you know, your perspective on the way these conflicts get covered, particularly with Syria, um, what is your stance, and I guess the Lebanese Communist Party's stance, uh, on the situation in Syria? Because the way it's presented in the U.S. leftist circles is that leftists in the region... Um, 
are all, you know, uh, for the revolution, for the uprising, and want the overthrow of the Syrian government. Um, uh, <laughs> and anyway, and so I just like, you know, so you're actually a leftist in the region. Obviously, you don't speak for all leftists, but you do right. speak, I, I would say, for a significant faction of them that gets left out of this conversation. So <laughs> what is what is your take on that? So I have two things to say. First of all, as the NCP's position is currently definitely with the uh, um, liberation and freedom and well-being of all peoples of the region. Uh, we support people's the people's uh, uh, demands to a better life. But what's going on in Syria now has no connection whatsoever to people's well-being. We're talking about killing. We're talking about an actual war. It's a very, very, very destructive uh, war. I was telling a friend a couple of days ago that. The third, I think that the 30-year war in Lebanon had a similar, had only a similar effect in, in a seven-year-old uh, Syria when I saw what's going on there. So it's destruction. You're talking about people going out of their houses and coming back just fearing or hoping they're not going to die or even staying in their houses and asking God not to let them die, right? So this is the the the, the absolute, I mean, the dream of everyday life uh, of, of ordinary people in Syria. So we're not mm -hmm. talking about more. What we're, as, as LCP, what we demand in such a case is for peace, is for all the uh, military uh, actions to stop, definitely for the, the liberation of all the lands, but in, in, the, in, the, in the situation where we need the people's, the different communities of Syria to, uh, 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 to write down, to decide what they want, to decide what kind of uh, opposition they want to create, to decide what kind of different regime or similar regime or more radical regime or whatever kind of regime they want to, to propose, there needs to be, there needs to be uh, peace for them mm -hmm. to be able to be to stay alive and to organize and to connect with one another what is there in syria currently is a small different and very very small groups of left that is not being able to organize or actually move around you know so what we're talking about is a, a situation a change of situation for the left to be able to produce itself because there's no actual left working and, 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 and uh, organizing on the ground now and to be able to read its own reality and connect to the people and propose its own solutions and projects. So uh, uh, going back to your identity politics uh, uh, note, <laughs> it's important for me to talk about this. I'm originally Syrian. Uh, uh, my father was born there. His father too. We have my, my father has a Syrian uh, 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 citizenship. So this region is, I think, very important for those who uh, fetishize uh, 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 identity politics. Because if we want to follow identity politics the way the West uh, follows it, which means if I'm not a Syrian, quote unquote, I should not be talking about Syria. It means that we're actually following the colonial borders which were created here because Syria, Lebanon and Palestine uh, have been uh, separated through Sykes-Picot, which is a colonial project. So for me to be anti-colonial and to be Marxist means that I also refuse such a, such a border, refuse that uh, Lebanese only know about the Lebanese situation, Palestinians only know about the Palestinian situation, etc. And the biggest... Um, Proof to this is that the LCP, the Lebanese Communist Party, has always been one of the biggest uh, support and the biggest, uh, actually, military fighters 
for the um, oppression against the oppression and occupation of of Palestine. Yeah, it's it's funny. I always get people telling me you're non-Syrian, you're non-Palestinian, you have no right. right. You're just Lebanese, and I'm like, wow, thanks for imposing. Um, European identities, <laughs> European-imposed right. identities on me. But I think it's interesting because, you know, the Lebanese Communist Party initially, uh, was it, it wasn't like the, the uprising in Syria happened and the Lebanese Communist Party was immediately like, we love Bashar, let him stay in power. Um, it's a lot more complicated than that. Uh, and I right. think it's really interesting when, because you and I have talked about this, like when the stuff first happened and it was very confusing. Um, the Lebanese Communist Party has no reason to love the regime in Syria. There's a little bit of history there that actually would be cool if you could mention uh, mm. the history between the Lebanese Communist Party and the Syrian government. Uh, there was even a member that was killed by the Syrian government at one point. Um, members. That's members. Yes. <laughs> but there's one in particular that like, yeah. is a horrifying incident. Can you talk about that? Yes, of course. So uh, what is, what's interesting is that when, when people talk about our position it's as if they don't read history and they don't know that historically we have been the first people to be against uh against the regime in syria uh meaning not only us but the leftists and marxists and communists inside syria itself so mm. uh we're talking about a regime that has actually uh, uh killed one of our major um one of our first uh, or sorry our first uh, general secretary which is comrade uh Farajallah al-Hilu. so this is a regime that between for us between us and this regime it's not uh, it has never been peaceful it has never been that we think we perceive it as a as a, a friendly uh, uh regime uh, uh, Lebanese communists as well as Syrian communists have been tortured in the prisons and of this regime for years. Uh, uh, specifically, when the Syrian army uh, was in Lebanon. So, for us, this is an oppressive regime. For us, this is a regime which, with which we have. Uh, um, uh, uh, it's 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 been our enemy for years. But what's going on now? It's a different case. It's a different scenario in which we say we oppose takfiris, we oppose uh, uh, an American project, we oppose an uh, American intervention to destroy Syria. I don't care about the regime, I don't support the regime, I support Syria. I don't want Syria to become Libya. I don't want the destruction of the state. The regime, the, 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 the politicians can be changed, but I don't want the, the destruction of the state of the state of Syria and people's uh, 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 connections and understanding of what is there until now. The, pro the when we talk about education, when we talk about health, when we talk about uh, uh, food sovereignty, Syria has been the model of independence in this region. So this is what we want to save, and we want to push forward for a more radical, uh, um, uh, a more radical uh, regime and the more realistic. Uh, uh, realistically, uh, uh, um, I mean, or a, a regime that realistically represents people. And why do you think, like, we never hear voices like yours, because there's people who claim to represent the left in the region who get a lot right. of airtime in the U.S. Um, specifically, get a lot of airtime. They don't actually even live here anymore. A lot of them, some of them still do. But why do you think it is? I mean, I never, no one ever hears from somebody in the Lebanese Communist Party or even the PFLP. Um, it's always right. these, like, these like sort of uh, bougie academics uh, that you see being called leftists on on outlets that we all watch. Like, why do you uh, think that is? 
It's funny because, yes, when my friends from, from the States tell me uh, names of some of these activists, and I'm like, I've, we've never heard of them here. We never <laughs> saw them demonstrate here. We never saw them demonstrate for Palestine. We never saw them organize here. But it's obvious that they, it's because, unfortunately, they're being used as token Arabs. They're being used as token third worldists, uh, people from the third world. They're being used as token uh, Syrians to unfortunately, again, uh, to present the, the position of, uh, of imperialism. I mean, I'm not saying that they're, uh, they're unaware of it. I don't know if they are or not, but uh, they're definitely not representative of what's going on here. <laughs> and then the other thing I wanted to ask you about too is, um, I want to ask you about Hezbollah because uh -huh. uh, there's also, this is another thing that's become a contentious issue on the left in the US, which must sound so funny to you because it like really has no, uh, no impact on what you do here in Lebanon. But mm -hmm. it's just frustrating for like to watch, but you know, obviously again, Lebanese Communist Party is not Hezbollah. Um, right. You know what aspect there are? Are there there are aspects of Hezbollah that you do support, and and also on an internal local such like level, there are aspects you oppose. Um, but people don't seem to get that either. Can you like explain that contradiction? Because people in the U.S., especially on the left, are like, well, Hezbollah is a religious party. They're so terrible. You even seen articles like see articles in Jacobin magazine um, that that you know by by people who are you know um, Arabs living in the West who talk about Hezbollah like it's this awful corrupt organization that works with the CIA. I think some, there was one person who right. wrote that in Jacobin, which is one of the funniest things I've ever read. But yeah, I do too. <laughs> uh, no, for me also the, fun, the other funny thing uh, is that I read someone uh, trying to prove along a long uh, article that Hezbollah is not leftist. And I think it's, it's very clear to anyone who knows it that Hezbollah has never claimed being leftist <laughs> or anything. So, uh, yes, definitely, Hezbollah is not leftist. We know it. Everybody here knows it. Even those who don't know what left is know that this group <laughs> the religious group. Uh, it's not, the, the, the difference is that it's not a fanatical kind of uh, Islam. When I say, when I say uh, takfiri, uh, it's because I, I'm, I'm very seriously uh, differentiating between uh, what uh, different forms of political Islam is. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that all political Islam is bad. Um, I'm saying that the ones that want to kill you and want to behead you and want to rape all the women and want be just because you're different, these are our bad uh, Islamic uh, organizations. What we're dealing with when we talk about Hezbollah is a is an Islamic group which which has a large amount of democracy. Meaning, even me as a Lebanese, a person living in Lebanon and organizing here, I have the power and ability to go organize in regions which are pro Hezbollah. And 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 it's it's very much uh, it's funny because uh, this doesn't happen in in the U.S. Uh, I know it from my U.S. comrades <laughs> who are freaked out while while uh, organizing because they're afraid of uh, this the 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 police, uh, the FBI, etc. We are not afraid here to organize. We're not afraid neither of the police nor of Hezbollah, of course. So what we're talking about is that this is an organization with which we have things in common. We have things. Uh, on which we uh, we agree and we have other things we, we don't agree with, like d different other political parties. So we definitely don't agree that it's a sectarian party. But the basic thing that we agree on is that this is resistance. And for me, whoever is, I mean, uh, from the West, whoever criticizes Hezbollah uh, needs to know that 
they could not criticize it based on the fact that it is a military resist- resistance because for us this is the only thing maybe uh, upon which we agree the other things and i i speak about it very uh, uh openly the other things upon which we uh, oppose hezbollah are internal which means uh no i don't think hezbollah is a terrorist party No, I don't think Hezbollah is a takfiri. And uh, whatever the West perceives as threat from Hezbollah, I don't perceive it as threat. Right, and that makes perfect sense. It's uh, just like there's political disagreements, uh, whereas Hezbollah does protect, see, like as, as a resistance organization, does protect Lebanon's borders. And uh, people don't seem to get that because they're idiots. <laughs> but, but like, I mean, I don't know, it's just insane. But I guess lastly, on your trip to Syria, you went to more than just Afrin. Um, and mm-hmm. I heard you, you were recently on, um, actually a friend of ours, uh, or, or Brian Becker and John Kiriakou have a podcast called Loud and Clear. And you recently went on there. I was listening to it, talking about your trip. And there was one thing you said that really made me sad and also... Um, struck me as like something that we need to start thinking about now that this war in Syria seems to at least sort of be winding down. As you talked about visiting areas um, where it just seems like the social fabric has been completely destroyed. Um, so can you give us like an idea of, I mean, where you went, what you witnessed and what you mean by that when you talk about the social fabric in Syria? Okay, so my trip was kind of uh, crazy because uh, I went to the Qamishli, which is at the east, uh, very far side of, of Syria, and then walk through around a thousand kilometers by land to arrive to uh, Afrin and then back to Lebanon. Actually, the borders, uh, uh, at, the Le- at the Lebanese borders, they were looking at my passport and couldn't understand how I actually uh, went through all this. Um, so definitely the destruction is great. The, it's, it's very, very, very depressing. It's, it's it's sad. You can't even think about, yeah, when we're talking about a need for peace, uh, you see what's going on in Syria and you think people cannot organize like that. People cannot even hope for a, a better alternative. People cannot think of alternatives when they live without water, when they don't have bathrooms, when they don't have a, 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 an actual house to live, to live in. And so we are also talking about the destruction of a certain uh, social fabric. When we talk, for instance, about uh, Kurds and, and Arabs, uh, and also, of course, the different sects that you have here. It was the first time in my, I've, I've been to Syria many times before. And this was the first time in my life I was asked what my sect is. And for like oh, five wow. times, I refused to tell them because it's not representative of what I am. And so I was kept, uh, they kept asking me. The, there is a different perception that is there. But also I'm talking about the difference between the Kurds and the Arabs. Definitely years of oppression, years of racism between Kurds and Arabs has produced what is there, has produced that Arabs, uh, that, sorry, Kurds feel excluded from, from the Arab uh, uh, or, or, or the region, the peoples of the region, because I don't think of them as the, uh, minorities. I don't think of any constituency uh, in this region as minority. Their minority is a very 
kind of uh, oppressive uh, uh, conception. They're not a minority. They're 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 an important part of the different peoples and communities. So while be while being a part of the of the community, they felt that politically, histor- um, culturally, etc., they are being excluded and they're being uh, uh, actually oppressed and killed. Uh, the problem is that they have they have also reacted to this in another racist manner, which is by uh, having an alliance with uh, with the Americans by, by 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 perceiving Arabs as their enemies and not the regime as their enemy, right? And mm-hmm. and also uh, uh, kind of distorting their whole Marxist perception because the major uh, party uh, in in uh, Syria, Kurdish party, is a Marxist party, which is the PKK. So by mm-hmm. distorting the PKK's own Marxist perception on who the enemy is, meaning uh, imperialism, meaning the U.S., the U.S. suddenly became the strongest and best ally ever. So there's one thing I wanted to see if you witnessed while you were on the ground, something that gets a lot of discussion. Uh, we've talked about it on our show, is the flow of, of, of weapons or um, arms into Syria and the different groups that are making this possible, especially how the rebel groups are benefiting from the flow of, of weapons. I'm wondering if you were aware of this while you were in Syria. Well, uh, obviously, they they moved them in a very uh, hidden way. But I, generally, I was not in a region that is pro uh, uh, ISIS. Right. So I could not see what's going on there. Uh, but I was able to see the the, the the Kurdish fighters and and their the the weapons that are supposed that with which they were supposed to uh, uh, defend their lands from the Turks and it was very very uh, uh, sad for me to see the the amount and the number of uh, Kurdish fighters and the amount uh, and and quality of arms that they had to fight with against uh a large army of, of Turkish and Takfiri groups. And I think this was the reason why the Turks were able to occupy. But other uh, uh, armed uh, movement was not, it was not possibly visible. Yeah, it's amazing how the U.S. just like completely abandoned uh, the Kurds in, or the Kurdish fighting groups in Afrin. I mean, it's, it's uh, not just Kurdish, but also some Arabs, I mean, the, that are fighting with the F- SDF. Um, that fought like for the U.S. Uh, right. and uh, they just completely—I mean, like abandoned them, and nobody cares. I mean, just it's unbelievable. Like nobody cares. It's it, almost like I have nothing else. You almost can't say anything. It's just—it's just oh, it's just so fucked up. Um, anyways, is there anything else, Kevin, that you wanted to add or ask? Well, and then I'm just wondering, um, since you were talking about issues as a leftist in the Lebanese Communist Party, what you would advise people here in the United States. I'll sort of, the, I'll sort of take the position of people who are ignorant uh, Democrats and, uh, or liberals <laughs> in the United States. And sometimes, often in the last 10 to 15 years, they haven't really known how to take an attitude toward uh, Saudi Arabia. They've let leaders um, become people that they worship and they find out that those leaders are cozy and they don't want to uh, be on their other side and, and cross them. So they start to rationalize a lot of what goes on. And 
You've just seen this with um, the crown prince coming to the United States and also visiting the UK. So it seems like it's a good thing to ask you how um, you and your party approach the uh, issue of Saudi Arabia and, and what they do in the region. So first of all, we perceive Saudi Arabia as very similar similar to Israel. The state, the um, regime, the monarchy itself. Um, talking about its position and its role in the region, it's also similar to Israel, meaning that it's an arm of imperialism in the region. So what's what's happening now with MBS and all of the sexy things he's introducing and women's freedoms and uh, parties <laughs> and all the shit you're hearing about is really just to buy in your uh, 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 kind of a liberal American um, white people into accepting uh, this kind of weird connection to KSA. But nothing else. The reality in KSA in, in Saudi Arabia is extremely oppressive. When we talk about a revolution, this is where hopefully a revolution should happen in the region. When we talk about uh, poverty, when we talk about oppression of women, an incredible kind of impression of women that until now, up until now, women who are not veiled are either uh, 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 um, uh, uh, put into jail or tortured. People, women who uh, don't agree to follow the the men's uh, orders in, in the families, meaning uh, father, husband, or or, or brother. Or uh, uh, I mean, if if they if they uh, succeed in leaving the country, they're uh, being followed by the Interpol. Uh, women are, can't even have uh, any of the jobs that they're allowed to have. Generally, they they have generally. But also, you're talking about quote unquote minorities, which are the integral different. Uh, um, communities and peoples of the region, meaning the, the minority of Shia in the region who are killed, kidnapped and tortured. Uh, uh, just last year, at the end of last year, one of the major Shia uh, city in Saudi Arabia was uh, destroyed, uh, raised into the ground because they, the quote unquote revolutionary hide there. And this is a historic, historic city. Uh, so you're talking about a real oppression. And when you listen to what MBS is doing. He's really just buying into uh, what what the U.S. want to portray as a as a liberal, progressive, uh, quote unquote, leader. Just, but first, just to remember that this leader, quote unquote, has never been elected by anyone, right? Yeah, it's stunning. You never hear him like talk to. Or you never hear him referred to as like a dictator. Oh, um, definitely. No, no. The dictator is just what the West is, uh, perceives as a dictator, not the people. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's amazing. It's, it really is amazing. And he got a, the stupid grit on his face. I just want to, like, smack it off. And he's also, <laughs> like, he's, like, 31 or 32. Like, he's, a, yeah, he's, he's like, younger than we are. Yeah, he's just, like, a, well, not, well, yeah, oh, God, he's, like, my, that's crazy. And he just, like, <laughs> buys yachts. Like, he's just, like, an asshole. He's, like, a frat boy asshole in charge of like an oil company uh in the middle of the desert he went like, on it's, american it's... tv run yeah i don't know if you were able to get this but he went on american tv on 60 minutes and told mm-hmm. uh everyone in america that he is no gandhi and he is no mandela <laughs> no shit nobody had you confused with either of those people <laughs> like and nobody like, said he... that mandela or gandhi are good people <laughs> yeah well nobody like it's just it's just like really amazing that, that I don't know if you saw like Jenna what what Kevin's talking about the 60 minutes I don't know if you saw it it was like 
It was like an advertisement for this guy. Exactly. It was like exactly. an MBS commercial. Right. He wouldn't love yeah. anything less. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Well, actually, you know, I do want to ask you about something that, do, that this all reminds me of is, um, you know, because the way that Lebanon gets talked about in U.S. media is always like there's Lebanon is just some proxy playground for this tug of war between Iran uh, backing Hezbollah and then Saudi Arabia backing the future movement or whatever the hell Saudi Arabia backs now. Um, how do you feel about that, like that, that description or like equation of like Saudi Arabia and Iran being equally detrimental to the region? Uh, first of all, it's extremely um, uh, patronizing to call a whole people like uh, or to portray them as uh, people without any uh, will in what's going on in, in their country or what they decide upon ha to happen. So mm -hmm. apart from that, I think that historically this place has been uh, an, an important, has played an important role for the different resistances and national uh, uh, movements in the region. And actually, this is why it has been uh, destroyed over the civil war. So uh, portraying it as a meaningless place is kind of another way of, of actually uh, fighting what's being produced here, what is being uh, uh, um, decided upon by the people, the kind of left that is being produced, the kind of resistance, uh, the different ideologies of resistance that, that, that are, are at play here. And I'm talking specifically about one of the most uh, radical grassroots um, feminist, um, uh, 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 let's say, progressive uh, Marxist left uh, leftism that is uh, being produced in the Arab uh, world. Uh, and it's it's very really it's it's quite uh, easy to just dismiss everything that's going on just by saying that this is just a playground for other powers to play within. Mm. Well said. Um, on that note, I think I'm, I'm all out of questions. Uh, Kevin, is there anything else you'd like to throw no, in? Thank you for talking to us. Yeah, Jenna, thank you so much for coming on. It was such a pleasure That's... hearing from an actual Arab leftist in the region. <laughs> thank you. It was such a, such a fun discussion. Thank you.